Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Beautiful, so beautiful. Um, I bought a bell. Benny Hoffman had a word for us when we got their generation to speak to the church. He was just talking about us older ones. Can you go another lap with us? We want you around. Can you go another lap? And as an ex-athlete, I was always struggling at the end of the race and you'd hear the bell lap, hey? And you'd feel this enormous relief on your lap to go. But I had to think about bells and I just Googled it a bit and um, there's school bells. I hated the school bell. It was the end of playtime. I was like, we had to go back into bondage in the classroom. I didn't like it at all. Then there's church bells, but they're a positive thing because they kind of call God's people to gather together. Um, um, on Google it said there was an old tradition of uh, the bell represented the sound of an angel sort of calling you back to God. Um, but where the whole meaning of bells comes from in Scripture is uh, Aaron as a priest had bells on the end of his garment. So when he went into the Holy of Holies, he also had a rope tied around his leg that led out. But if he died in the Holy of Holies, the bells would stop ringing as he moved. And they know that he died, like he must he had a wrong thing. Or if a different priest went in that didn't have the proper covering to go in and touch what he shouldn't touch in God, they just die. <laughs> and, they, and I don't know if it even ever happened, but the rope was there and the bells was there. But what the bell represented was when the people heard the bell, it was a positive thing. It was like the priest is in the holy place doing business with God for your sake. So the, the bell was a positive thing, not like the school bell, but it was like... How good is it? It cost me 50 bucks to do that demonstration for you. (laughs) Um, I'm sharing on Romans 3 and 4 today. Romans is a really significant book for me because when I got saved, you know, I thought I was doing a good journey with God, but Roz just says to me, we were boyfriend and girlfriend at the time, she says she wanted to put God first, like full on, you know, I'll go anywhere on the earth, I'll be a missionary or I'll prepare to die for you. And I'm thinking, I don't want to be a martyr. I don't want to be a missionary. So I did like a 50% effort with God. So she goes, I'm breaking up with you because you're not full on. I'm going, yes, I am. She goes, no, you're not putting God first. So I learnt that I wasn't putting God first. And I I read this phrase because the book of Romans brought me out of it. As I started reading Romans as a young Christian and coming from a legalistic background, we were taught, keep the commandments and you can go to heaven. But I wasn't very good at keeping them. I was good at some of them. But there was always one. I was just... Anyway, I kind of gave up. But I was reading a poem by John Keats, who was one of English's most famous ever poets. He died when he was 25 and he was brought up in poverty. But he just has amazing concepts in poems. And he has this poem you know, where he got lost in love. And he, he said the things that described him was, he said, in life I was just palely, as in pale, you know, no colour, palely loitering. And I thought, I think that's pretty much how I was as a Christian until I read the book of Romans. And Romans kicked into gear for me. It's sort of by the time I got to Romans 8, I'd done this big shift out of legalism into grace. But Romans 3 and 4 was where it all started. So I just wanted to um, highlight some bits because it radically changes your theology. Um, and we'll, we'll just have a look at it. Um, Romans is the most influential book of the Bible for me, for Martin Luther, and for the Apostle Paul. 
the funny thing was Paul had this enormous God passion and desire to go to Rome to preach the gospel, but God kept blocking him. And it made no sense to him. It was one of his great frustrations. You know why God blocked him? Because he wanted him to write the letter to the Romans so you and I and the rest of the people through history could actually read it. He didn't want it to be preaching. He wanted it to be a letter that would stand the test of history and help millions of Christians across the line. So it wouldn't have made sense to Paul at the time, but it makes sense to us. I wonder if there's things in your life, in God, that don't make sense to you or delays that don't make sense to you, but for a higher purpose, God is doing that and you just have to trust him. Um, Jesus, you know, through Romans, wants to cleanse and heal people, not put guilt and shame on them. The church I was brought up in was like, I thought putting guilt and shame on people was the way to go. That's how you change people. You've got to control people. You put guilt and shame and fear on them, and then that turns them around. But if you're sitting here, you probably know you can get a few results out of guilt and shame, but they don't last long, and people end up hating your guts and hating God's guts and hating the church. So it doesn't really work that well, does it? So let's read why. So let's just read. I'm going to pick isolated scriptures and the bits I'm not reading out of some verses are in red so you can see it in context. But we'll go with um, Romans 3. So bear in mind, I'm reading this as a young Christian in the context of you've got to be good to get to heaven. And I read this. There's no one righteous, not even one. I thought, oh, we must all go to hell. That's, that's weird. So I read on. Get to uh, verse 19, the second part, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Verse 20, therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law, or you could say by keeping the commandments, rather through the law we become conscious of sin. So the law has a purpose, it tells us what the problem is, that's good. If you run a business and there's stuff going wrong, you've got to identify the problem before you can do anything else. So the law's good because it tells us the problem, but it doesn't give us the answer. Let's go down to second part, verse 22. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace. That verse almost sums up the whole book of Romans. Verse 27 says, so boasting is excluded. Remember we talked about Gideon and he had to fight the Amalekites and he had an army of 30,000 to fight another army of 30,000. And God says to him, you've got too many men. I don't want you to go into battle with that many men because you're going to win by your own hand and boast to me and I don't like that. I want you to win by my hand so you learn to depend on me. So Gideon gets rid of 10,000 men. He goes, can I go in with 20,000? God said, you've still got too many. So he says, what about 10,000? He goes, you've still got too many. He ends up with 300. Now it's impossible for Gideon to win the battle. Up to this point, he's been a coward, but God keeps calling him a man of valour. But when he goes in and wins the battle with 300 men, he knows it's God and he becomes a man of valour for the rest of his life because now he knows he can totally trust God. And he always consults God before going into battle on should we go into battle and how we go into battle. So God doesn't like us boasting. He doesn't like us having a sense of you owe me God. That's called entitlement. 
Verse 28, for we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Now, being good's good. Being good protects you, brings stuff in your life. There are blessings that come through it, but it's not the ball game as far as salvation goes. Chapter 4, verse 4, now the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. So God wants you to do this thing that you get there by faith, not by works. And I'll explain why in a sec. Um, verse 14, for if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing or absolutely nothing and the promise is worth, worthless. Now this is an important point because verse 16 tells us why. Watch this. This is huge. I couldn't, it took me 10 years to get my head around this. Therefore... The promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and can be guaranteed. So God can guarantee your salvation, but he can't guarantee your salvation if it depends on you. He can only make a guarantee if it depends on him. So the deal is, you go, I can't save myself. My righteousness isn't good enough because he standards perfection. Ross said that the other week. He standards perfection. So we can't be perfect. Even the most righteous person here, probably Dissa, <laughs> might have only done one sin in his whole life. But Dissa, guess what? You're not going to get there. <laughs> so the idea is that we come to God and go, I can't make it on sin. What do I deserve, God, is hell. But could you save me? Because I don't want to go to hell. I want to follow you. I need you. I give you my life. I lay it down to you. Could you save me? He goes, okay, I'll take over now. I can guarantee you'll get there. But let me tell you, it's not just a guarantee you can do what you want and he takes you to heaven. The guarantee is that he'll sanctify you, that he's more determined than you are, that you'll suffer for your sin and he'll let you suffer for it. And when you're ready to change, he's there waiting. Okay, let's get back together. Let's move forward now. I've seen it in drug rehab programs where someone goes real close to kicking heroin and they don't quite make it. So they end up in jail for 10 years or 20 years. They lose their marriage. They lose their kids. They're still confronted with the same issue. I still, need, I still have to go through withdrawal to get on top of the heroin. Would have been better. I'm not paying out on them. Just would have been better to beat it the first time. It's really tough to beat but when you've lost enough and when you've suffered enough, you'll make the change. That's why there's a saying that says, it goes something like this. When the pain of staying the same is worse than the pain of changing, you'll change. And because we've got human nature, sometimes we just suffer our way into change. It's proved true in my life many times. But th so the guarantee thing is incredible in scripture. That's why God wants it to be by faith, so he can be more sure about getting you into heaven. Um, and Romans 5.2, I just want to mention, because it's really important. We have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So our faith isn't what we're standing in. Our faith is the plug that plugs us into God. It's like the PowerPoint that puts us into the electricity. So he doesn't want everything depending on us. He knows we're human. He knows our frailties. He's like plugging in. Sari, plug in, Jacko. It's a lot better. It's a much better way. Okay. Um, it's like when we walk up to God. You don't kind of, 
you just got to be humble going to God. He wants you to be confident, but be humble. Be, um, we're at, uh, up the Hunter Valley two weeks ago. We had an overnighter for my birthday. We're at Harry Harrigan's pub having a meal. And because I've got a new knee, you see me hobble up the stairs, but because I've got a new knee, when I sit down for too long, it just kind of freezes up a bit and I kind of wobble around like this as I get up for about 12 steps and then I'm okay. Anyway, we're sitting near the bar having a meal because it was pretty crowded. And Rod says, can you get me a drink? I go, yeah. So I do this wobbly walk up to the bar and the barman goes, can't help you, mate. Responsible service of alcohol. He thinks I'm off my face. <laughs> so I burst out laughing. I go, no, no, I've got a new knee. I'm just learning to walk again. He goes, oh, I can see you're not drunk by the way you're talking. So I, I was able to get the drink. But I think that's what it's like when we approach God. We think we're walking really straight. But he knows all the weaknesses, all the stuff. So we're a bit wobbly, aren't we, when we walk up. So it's good to go up with, with, a, humble, with a humble attitude. Um, Because there's no problems with the word of God. The fault lies in the corruption of our understanding. The Bible is the plumb line. This is what I wrote. The Bible is the plumb line through which I make daily adjustments to my faulty understanding. Never think you get it all. There's always stuff we're learning. Always. Um, Charles Spurgeon said this in a a thing I read the other day. Gee, it was good. Um, Where are you, Charles? Here you are. He says, this life is not my resting place. This is the place of the furnace and the forge and the hammer. So I wrote this about life. God is like your blacksmith and you're you're the unused rod of iron, potentially useful when heated, beaten into shape and polished into a stunning instrument. I think I'm still getting beaten into shape. I don't think he's even started polishing me yet. (laughs) No time for polishing. God, I want to look good by now. Enough beating. But anyway, it's just a good truth. So two points. First, you cannot add human merit to grace. Faith is the end of any attempt to earn God's favour through human merit. This tests our pride and our humility. And our response to this is usually we get offended or we have gratitude. Um, And grace makes me sin less, not more. I I won't go into it because that's probably a whole message in itself. But this is fantastic scripture because a lot of... I've seen a lot of Christians go, oh, I love grace, Eric, because I can go and sin what I want and still get to heaven. No, not really. You've got some fake version of it. Because the Bible says, he who has been forgiven much loves much. So under grace, with our own sin, we're not supposed to justify it. You're sort of supposed to call it at its worst version of what it is. Don't make it look good. Go to God and go, wow, this deserves punishment and hell, but I'm bringing it to you. I can bring it, and God forgives you, and you, you know, repent, and you apologize, and you move on, but now you love much. And I sin less because I'm under grace, not more. No flesh will be justified in his sight, because in your flesh you cannot please God. In fact, if I bring all the good things I've done... There's quite a few, but you know, it's probably more bad things. But if I bring him and I go, God, you owe me because I've been a pastor for 30 years, so you should be doing this and doing that. The Bible says that's as filthy rags before him. You just come in gratitude. God, thanks for the privilege of letting me be a pastor. Thank you. Thank you. You owe me nothing. But I want to stay with you. Don't change the gospel. This is the, the danger for Christians. 
Don't change the gospel so it makes sense of your logic. Because what we like to do sometimes is get into deception and adjust the scripture and what it's saying to suit our situation or our circumstance. Because there's some sins we're having trouble overcoming, so we change scripture and what it means. We fool ourselves and we get into deception. The sobering thing is in Romans 22.18, it says don't even change one dot of scripture. And it gives this horrible warning about what happens to people who fakely change what the Bible says. Whoa. Whoa. It's okay for me that it says I deserve hell. I don't mind that because God goes, you deserve hell, but I really love you and I want to take you to heaven and I'm going to work in your life and you're going to gradually sin less and less and have a better and better life. Now, it goes up and down and when I'm done, I might go backwards a step. It's like a Jacob. Sometimes you've got to suffer a bit where you're being stupid and you're there, but then you click back into God and you grow again and you end up better off than what you were. Um, so the big question is, last point, the big question is, what if he doesn't choose me? What if he doesn't save me? What if he doesn't rescue me? What if my loved one that I'm praying for dies? What if someone punches me in the head next week and God didn't answer Sarah's prayer? Well, I trust that he will answer the prayer. But even if he doesn't, who said that? Job and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, whoever their spokesman was. There's a thing of trust in faith. This is probably the challenge of faith. Because every man's been given the measure of faith, the Bible says. So you have an ability, like it or not, to choose God. But the trick is in the trust. That's the thing that comes slowly. But even if he doesn't, I'm still going to trust him. And when you do that, I think there's like this indestructibleness to your spirit where the enemy can't get you. Because it sort of kicks out all fear once you go, God, even if you kill me, I'm still going to trust you. There's nothing left to fear. Um, The trust proves the faith. The law shows us the problem, not the answer. Um, Sorry, let let me cut to the the finish. Um, Your faith is in a saviour who was executed for your debt. That's enough for me. He doesn't owe me anything else. Um, Just a little bit of Charles Spurgeon stuff. I like this. So the evidence that you've got it right Peace with God, you're standing and living in grace, you have a clear hope of eternal life, you're receiving daily divine love, you feel like you've escaped from God's anger against sin, the joy of the Spirit um, renews your energy and you don't portray a false image of yourself and, and you stop worrying a lot about what people think. I think we're human so we're always a bit vulnerable to that. But it, you, you don't get hung up on it that much at all. You think, well, I'm worse than what you probably think I am anyway, so who cares? So I'll, I'll finish you this because I like this. This is just pure gospel, but I just loved it. Spurgeon gives a couple of examples. He says this. Two men are working on a huge ship and fall overboard, a mechanic covered in dirt and grease and an officer in a pure white uniform. A rope is lowered for them to grab onto and be saved. He says this, their salvation depends on their grabbing the rope, not on how clean or dirty they are. Love that. A kind man and a mean man both get the same kind of cancer. The surgeon can save them with the right operation to remove the wrong growth. The answer is the surgeon, not their morality. 
The same plan which stops me boasting also fosters my gratitude to God and my loyalty to Christ. I walk in right ways because he has saved me, not to get saved. (laughs) Here's, Here's the challenge. Now, look, this is just speaking to myself, so you can come in on it or not, but this really challenged me and I love it. I, I like it when the word of God says, mate, you need a shift. Watch this. Friend, take off your fancy garments of self-righteousness. There is a gate through which the fallen may enter. You must go through the same gate as them and identify with them to enter. There's no VIP entrance, no pastor's entrance, sinners only. And, and this was the challenging bit. Mark, it takes as much grace to save you as it does to save a person you hate. And while I try not to hate people, every now and again I've got to fight it off a bit. It's, a, it's challenging, isn't it? But challenge is okay. It just takes you deeper, like singing this song for Sarah. That's a challenge. What about ministering to people out of what you've suffered? You've been through the fire. When she was singing... I don't think in church you could get a more pure thing than that because that's the thing that's been through the fire. And God, the Holy Spirit, used it to minister to us. It was so pure. That's why time stood still because it was just like, oh, it was like that. I just, I just love that. So Jesus, um, while we're probably worse than we think we are, we thank you that you still love us. And there's beautiful qualities in all of us that we can enjoy. So we just present ourselves to you. We thank you for your acceptance. We want to follow the way of faith so that we can stand in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit macroylifechurch.com.au.